When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. They care about the world. They have high EQ. They're intuitive. They want to change things and they're they're determined. And I think that's a skill set is we all know that we need in the world. And so I think we just we need these girls in leadership and they have what it takes. That was author and ABC TV journalist Claire Shipman talking about the incredible girls she interviewed for her new book, Living the Confidence Code, Real Girls, Real Stories, and Real Confidence. She wrote it with her longtime friend and co-author, BBC journalist, Caddy Kay. Living the Confidence Code is aimed at girls, but it will inspire everyone. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Claire and Caddy write best-selling books designed to help women achieve success. These include The Confidence Code and The Confidence Code for Girls, as well as Womenomics. Their latest book, Living the Confidence Code, tells the stories of 30 unforgettable, real girls from all over the world. Girls who are pursuing their passions, learning through their failures, and helping to bring about change. Their stories are augmented with photos, graphics, and illustrations. And if you need a shot of hope right now, this book will do the trick. Listen and learn why Claire Shipman and Caddy Kay are two of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm here with Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman, and I'm so delighted to be with both of them. They have a new book that's just been released called Living the Confidence Code, Real Girls, Real Stories, Real Confidence. And they have done confidence books in the past. I think this is their third in a series. And I'm so interested in knowing what has moved them to do this next installment, how it's different, and why it matters, because that's really the most important thing. So let me start by asking about the book. It tells the story of these amazing girls that you've selected, 30 of them. Why did you write this book now? And how did you? know to write this next in a series it's turning out now on girls and confidence. What were you aiming to do? Well, Milan, thank you so much for having us. Um, and it's great. We have been longtime friends and admirers of yours. So it's wonderful to be having this conversation uh, with you. Uh, it feels like chatting to a, a good friend. So we um, we didn't know this book would come out in the middle of a pandemic uh, and what is quite a hard, dark time for many people. But it is a book that is full of good news. And don't we all need some of that at the moment? Uh, and full of these inspiring stories. We realized when we brought out our book, original book on confidence and girls, that 
it was pretty clear that girls learn best through stories. And they learn particularly well from other girls. I mean, it's great for Claire and I to uh, write about confidence in girls and, and get all of our science and our data and our research out there. And all of our work is very research driven. But it is is much more powerful for girls to hear from other girls their own age. I see that with my own 15-year-old daughter. She is very influenced by her social group. And so we thought that perhaps some, if we could get together stories from other real girls, that that would be a way of inspiring uh, teenage girls and tween girls to take risks and do the things that they need to do to build their confidence, not with an adult telling them to do it, but through the voices of these remarkable 30 girls from around the world. I can appreciate that greatly that they really are learning from each other and inspired by each other. So let me ask, I read in the book uh, about some of the research, and Caddy, I'm glad you mentioned the research because you've got a lot of it in there. This is an evidence-based case. You mentioned there about the drop by about, I think it's 30% around the time of puberty for girls, in a drop in their confidence. Why is that? It's a mixture of nature and nurture. When puberty hits, girls get flooded with estrogen. And estrogen has many wonderful qualities, uh, but it does tend not to promote risk-taking in the way that testosterone does promote risk-taking. And the research is all there on that. And boys, of course, get a lot more testosterone in puberty than girls do. And that combination of kind of nature with societal tendencies to want girls to be good girls, and I say that in inverted commas, um, and color in the lines and obey the rules and raise their hand in class when they've got the answer perfectly right and not rag around in the back of the classroom. And, and I understand that. What stressed out teacher with 24 kids in the class isn't delighted to have some members of her classroom behave in a way that is orderly and easy to teach. But we but we're inadvertently by calling girls, you know, good girls, we're reinforcing this tendency that they may already have because of the way their brains start developing. To, to please everybody, to be perfect, um, to set themselves crazy high standards. And in doing that, they stop doing the one thing that is incredibly important for building confidence, and that is taking risks. And the other thing that our survey showed um, is that one of the things that happens to teenage girls is they become terrified of failing. It's, it's like a kind of monster on their, on their shoulders. And, and if they become so afraid of failing and they won't take risks, it's very hard for them to build their confidence. Indeed. And I think we can relate to what you said about uh, watching girls in this period of their lives uh, and hating to see that confidence level drop. Has COVID uh, made that so much worse? You know, Malian, we have seen that. It is uh, girls during COVID are experiencing a lot more anxiety and depression and and we're concerned about that. And it's another reason why we're really eager to see this book out here now, because one thing that we found is that from talking to the girls in this book since COVID hit, but also just from using their examples, there are different ways that you can get outside of your comfort zone, even during a pandemic, right? When you can't really interact in the normal way and you can't be social, you can't engage with the world as you were used to. But there are different ways to take risks, build your confidence, try something new. And in many ways, if we can 
help people understand that this time when all bets are off and society isn't watching or judging in the same way is actually a great time to try something new and take risks and do a little bit of failing because of course that is the the confidence formula, right? Take some risks, struggle, fail, and move on. And that's really what we're trying to show girls in this book. So we're hoping that they might get some inspiration from that as well as they live lives that they weren't expecting to live this year. You know, I I know you wrote in a recent op-ed in the New York Times that girls need imperfect role models. Why imperfect? What our research has shown is that when you present girls with overly perfect, you know, superwoman type role models, it can actually be counterproductive. Uh, Teenage girls whose confidence perhaps is waning anyway might look at those role models and say, oh, my God, that just makes me feel worse about myself, as our teenage daughters have said to us when being kind of, you know, presented with save the world type people. (laughs) And what we love about the girls in this book, and it's part of the reason we selected it, we initially thought of doing 50 girls and our publisher said, yeah, do 50, do 100. We thought, no, we'll never find that. That's a terrible reporting challenge. Of course, there are so many girls out there in the world doing extraordinary things. And And the reason we selected these 30 is precisely because they were honest about the fact that they're not perfect um, and that they have struggled and that they are works in progress. And that was really important to us to have girls who would be open about the hurdles they encountered, how they overcame those hurdles, how those hurdles made them feel, and the, and the journey of developing their confidence. So they were immediately relatable to the girl who's reading the book, reading about them. Exactly right. We really, that is what we most wanted. And we really looked for these girls who would talk about their failures, their struggles, their emotions, because, you know, psychologists have really emphasized to us, as Caddy said, that you, when you open up and make a story really authentic, and it's not just this sort of gleaming trajectory to the top, right? Um, you're 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 literally allowing many more connection points along the way for girls looking to connect because that is how they learn and grow right is connection and if they might not feel they have anything in common with a young soccer player but when they see her talking about how much she struggled and failed and tried this and tried that they're going to be different ways that they can plug themselves into that formula and learn from it so can you give us a sense of some of these girls yeah, um, we have girls from all over the world, from almost every continent, which we were ah. really excited about. That was one of the decisions we made. We wanted this to be a very global book. So there are two sisters in Indonesia, who Isabella Malada, who launched a campaign to clear plastic from the beaches of the island that they lived on. Um, there is a girl in Nepal who went on a radio station to talk about Um, menstruation and how important it was for girls to be able to go to school while they were having their periods because she realized girls were missing out, you know, a a third of their schooling every month. Um, There is a girl in Ethiopia who at the age of 12, Yakaba, we we love Yakaba, whose father came to her when she was 12 and said, okay, now you're going to get married to the 20-year-old village priest who you have never met before. 
And she had to launch a kind of campaign. First of all, she took the risk of talking up to her father, which in her culture was a hard thing to do. Then she put a note in a a sort of suggestions box in her school explaining her situation. And she got the principal involved and her teachers involved. And then she went to her aunt and she got her aunt involved. And she talks us through the steps of overcoming a challenge that, of course, girls in America will never face. No girl in America is going to suddenly be told she's going into a a marriage at the age of 12. But in a way, although the challenges are unique and different and sometimes huge and culturally driven in some cases, the process that Yakaba went through of how she developed her confidence is the same. She took a risk. She did something that was hard. She rallied some people around her who could support her, and she went through all of the different hurdles. And I think that's what's really compelling about these stories is, of course, the challenges are different, um, but the process of building their confidence is universal. And, you know, some of the girls, as as, as Patty has mentioned, right, there's sort of this range of girls taking on incredible issues that are global and worldwide. And then there are girls who are dealing with issues that are much more personal. And in some ways they seem smaller, but they're no less important. We, we talked to one girl, Taylor Fuentes, who's amazing and Cal- from California, dealt with horrible bullying, which I think is something so many girls can relate to. And the big risk for her was figuring out how to speak up and and even when she did speak up, she still, and to this day, still deals with it. But she managed to find another community and learn to help other girls with bullying. There are a couple of young women, one in Guatemala, one in the United States, who've really struggled with mothers not being available. They've had to raise their entire family and then fight for their education. Education's been a big theme for a lot of these girls. So they're they're all just so compelling, Mohan. No, I, I can hear as both of you are speaking about them. You know, I'm familiar with some of these enormous adversities that girls have to cope with from, you know, leaving school because of menstruation. They lose so much time out of every month or child marriage is just inconceivable. And yet it's happening to tens of thousands. And I can imagine how an American girl, for example, reading that can not only be transported into somebody else's problems, but think to herself, you know, I should buck my confidence from all of this because I'm not coping with anything like this. And and yet uh, I think I am at times, uh, but I, I can see it as a great inspiration. Yeah, and we hope that, you know, Girls in America or in the UK, because we have a, a great girl in the UK, um, Annika George, who's who launched a campaign to get free uh, period products, tampons and pads into schools in the UK. And she's amazing, too. We hope that those girls don't think, oh, my God, you know, my problems are insignificant because I'm not in a child marriage or I can go to school when I have my period. Because Taylor's problems of being bullied are just as real and hard and take just as much confidence um, and risk-taking to overcome. And I think that's, you know, that's what we love about the book is that everybody's situation is different, but there are some similarities in what these girls are going through and what teen girls everywhere go through and, and the steps. And we want the book to be kind of practical and usable and it's full of kind of you know, fun graphics and and tips. And we talk about confidence building blocks. And then on the 
other side confidence quicksand and we have different fonts and we hope that girls because it really is a book for girls for sort of you know eight to 12 year old girls we hope they will read it and in every single story they will find some universality and some practical way that another girl has overcome a problem that they can then take away and implement in their own lives well and i think the variety enables that to come through Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Are there certain ways that you look at young women today? Do you think that they are different from earlier generations? Because many of them are doing astounding things or coping with problems in their own homes, and yet somehow, thanks to your book, among other ways, that they'll be able to overcome. Do you have a sense, are girls dealing with more difficult challenges today? You know, it's interesting. One thing we've seen, Milan, is that this generation of girls, and we didn't know this when we set out, but this is a generation of incredible activists. And I think to some extent, we're seeing uh, it's, it's different from our generation. I mean, girls already feel more empowered. They have more ways to, to speak up and connect, right? And, and mm-hmm. so they are able to find their communities. If they don't have them in school, they can find them in other ways. They can find like-minded people. They can find allies. And, and they're also able to connect to this one thing we've noticed, you know, girls from an earlier age and women too, and you know this from your own work, they really do get heavily engaged in the world and they're often more driven to try to make change, right? To, to, to want to make change. That's a real driver for them. And so it, it seems as though this generation is more able to put that into action right now. It, at the same time, it's an incredibly stressful time still to be a girl, right? I mean, the pandemic is difficult, but also the pressures on girls, anxiety and depression are rising. There is this sense, the very thing that connects everybody, social media can also be really brutal for girls because it can lead to the overthinking perfectionism. I should be doing this. I I should be getting out of a child, you know, as Caddy has said, I should be. And so it's a fine line to try to inspire and not intimidate. But I, I think on balance, we both feel like, wow, this generation may have that they have our backs. It's exciting. Well, and if they can become more confident uh, in their sense of purpose, uh, you've really achieved so much more for them. You know, you you mentioned connection and you mentioned social media. What role does that play in, in a girl's confidence? In some ways, social media can be a really powerful tool. And we have girls in the book who use social media to launch incredible campaigns. There's a girl in Ireland, Chiara Beth, um, who was diagnosed as autistic at the age of 13. And the diagnosis actually came as a relief to her and her family because Chiara Beth had always realized she saw the world a little differently. Uh, Somebody would say to her, it's raining cats and dogs. And she would look out the window and expect to see cats and dogs falling. And she couldn't figure out why she saw the world differently. And then she was diagnosed and she did some research and she found one of the hardest things uh, for people with autism is to look somebody in the eye. So she developed with no knowledge of coding initially, but she launched a whole sort of study program and got help and got funding. And she developed an app 
to help autistic people look somebody in the eye, make eye contact. And so she's used social media to great good. And, and it can be used like that. The, the risk with social media, I think, for teenage girls in particular, and I think, you know, Claire and I are both very conscious of this as the mothers of teenage girls ourselves, is that they try to create a perfect image of themselves online, right? You try to have the most perfect picture of yourself on Instagram. You're always looking for how many likes you got, how much, how many followers you got, um, how many re, you know, you do a TikTok and how much pickup did it get? And so you're always looking for sort of external approbation, whereas real confidence comes from doing things yourself and overcoming hurdles. It doesn't come from what other people tell you about yourself. It doesn't come from the number of likes you get on an Instagram post. Um, that produces, you know, just a volatile form of confidence that can be massively erratic because it's like kind of, you know, sugar. You can never quite get enough of that sort of attribution externally. And it, and it does promote this idea that you can be perfect or have a perfect image of yourself out there. That's not a good use of social media for girls. But using social media to rally a campaign or find people with the same passion, that can be very powerful. And how do we get them not to pay attention to those likes or dislikes? Uh, <laughs> that's really hard. <laughs> that's the question. Well, we, you know, it's interesting, Milan. We've worked twice now. We have a we had a campaign with Instagram for our last girl's book, which was Capture Confidence. And it was about showing authentic confidence in a picture, right? Not ideally, not something airbrush, phony, perfect. And this time, Instagram is launching um, a video service called Reels, and it's fairly new. And we're, we're trying to get girls to post a day in my confident life that's a sort of unvarnished look at confidence hacks, right? And what what's real. And I think there is an opportunity to be, from what I can tell, and from watching my daughter, my 15-year-old on social media, there is an opportunity for authenticity there. And to, to really share stuff that's uncomfortable or just real and raw, but it's, you know, they kind of seem to come to it themselves at a certain point. I mean, my own daughter has learned I got to put my phone down for so many hours a day or I might <laughs> lose my mind. And an ability to be vulnerable about their failings and struggles is important. Well, it's interesting. I'm sure our audience would be interested in knowing you, you're both uh, mothers of teen daughters. Um, what do you tell them? Um, and do you try any of your suggestions on them or your avenues to what you're going to write? So my daughter, who's 15 the other day, did something that is very common to teenage girls. She failed a history test. She hadn't failed a history test before or really any test. It, it was a new experience for her. And it was really alarming for me with all of the research that we have done to see her go through this process of what psychologists call catastrophizing. She kind of went from that one history test to I'm never going to graduate from high school. I'm never going to get into college. I'm going to end up living under a bridge with no friends and no jobs. And it took her about 20 seconds. And it was a real interesting process of my husband and I had to kind of talk her back from that. We got her brother to tell her about, you know, all the times he had failed and not even noticed it and never assumed that that was going to be catastrophic. So it has, it, I think it's helped us in some ways see the pitfalls that girls can fall into and just to help her kind of realize that it's one history test. Yeah, I, Milan, I am a recovering and not fully recovered 
helicopter parent. And I've, I've really learned from all of this research what a disservice I can do um, to my daughter. A, well, number one, we do a disservice as women when we ourselves reflect perfectionism and mm-hmm. just too much hyper intense focus on, you know, did I get it right or wrong? And I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. We have to show that we can be relaxed about our failures. But then I've also learned that I really have to leave room for my kids to struggle, fail, recover on their own. And I think it can be very hard for parents who are engaged and want to fix and mm-hmm. help. And to be able to sit with that uncomfortableness, I don't know if that's the right word, but that discomfort really of um, watching your child for days on end not feel good about something, knowing that's a process they need to go through. It's sometimes harder for us. <laughs> we have to tell ourselves they need this. They can't launch at 22, never having failed or struggled. Well, and it's that balance, isn't it? You know, listening to both of you, I I think we can all relate uh, to these incidents with, uh, with our daughters, particularly uh, where they are striving to do everything right or feel they can never make a mistake. Uh, and then you deal with the consequences of it. So I, I'm wondering for parents who are listening, and they want we all want our sons and daughters uh, to be confident individuals. What should they do? What should we all be doing? What lessons should we keep in mind? Again, I think the most important lesson for parents is failure and struggle is actually what you want some of in your child's life. It's hard because everything society is telling us is you know, help them get through. It's this kind of race to get through grade school, middle school, high school, and then into college. And everything needs to, even though we say, we preach, we don't want it to be perfect, right? It's another thing to actually live that and accept it. So I think mentally for us getting there. And then I think having candid conversations in our own homes about failure, you know, finding not not just dealing with the failure that's happened, but kind of okay, who's tried something really hard today that didn't work out? And make that the dinnertime conversation as opposed to what did you get done today? You know, how did it go on that test? I mean, your your focus and your attention and what that's on really matters to your child. And then I think one tip we found that's useful for us and, and girls is Before you can start building confidence, you're going to have to take risks. Taking risks is scary. It's like standing on the high dive, right? And and you got to jump at some point. And the mental training you need to get there isn't easy. We use this phrase, do it afraid. Because what we've realized, often the difference between girls and boys is we'll always have fear when we're out of our comfort zone and we're stretching. Girls often view that fear as a sign that they should not proceed. Boys feel the fear, and we've had boys and men tell us this, but they often decide, I'm going to do it anyway, or it's a spur to action. And so so we say, do it afraid, right? Just do it. Know that fear is normal as you're contemplating something like this and do it anyway. Because once you start, you're learning the confidence habit, and each time it gets a little bit easier. Right. As long as those are sensible things (laughs) to want to take risk on. Well, I mean, we talk about that too, right? You want, nobody wants a catastrophic failure if you can avoid it, right? For sure. No, 
You want reasonable failures. You don't want to jump off the high dive with no water in the pool. So clearly, yes, it's the more you can guide your your kids to manageable risks. That's really the gold standard. Well, time goes so quickly and, you know, we could keep this conversation going for hours because we all have situations in our own lives uh, that relate to this topic. Uh, But I'm wondering in conclusion, what makes you optimistic about uh, girls, about young women right now? What makes me optimistic is how much they care. And I think this is to me the I have this discussion with my daughter all the time. And it actually thinking about the girls in this book, I get teary because they're so, they're so incredible. And what can make life a confidence challenge for them is often the very same thing that makes them so impressive, right? They care about the world. They're, they have high EQ, they're intuitive. They want to change things and they're, they're determined. And I think that's a skill set is, we all know that we need in the world, right? That's what makes women leaders right now so essential. And so I think we just, we need these girls in leadership and they have what it takes. And we just want to keep encouraging them to keep doing and trying because they have the right values. And confidence is so important to all of that. Indeed. You know, I I just want to thank you on behalf of all the readers you've had over the years and all of those who I know will be buying this book in the weeks to come because it's a real contribution for girls who who are trying to cope, trying to find their way, trying to be what they desire to be for themselves. And this is such an assist. It's wonderful. And both Claire and Caddy, I know both of you and you've spent so much time uh, working on this whole conundrum in some ways of confidence and particularly how it um, affects teen girls especially but it affects grown-up girls too so (laughs) so we all need to work on it but it makes a difference so i can't thank you enough for joining us i know that our our listeners have been fascinated by what you said and so much hasn't been said because of limited time and that's all the more reason to buy this book for anyone in your life who thinks will benefit so thank you for all you do both of you it's incredible thank you milan thank you so much Claire and Caddy always bring fresh insight to any topic. Here's what I took away from that fascinating conversation. First, everyone needs role models. And if our role models are imperfect, so much the better, say Claire and Caddy. It's reassuring for girls to see that other women have concerns and doubts, but can persevere despite them. As Claire says, We have to show that we can be relaxed about our failures. Second, now is the perfect time to take on new challenges and risks. As our co-authors say, this is a moment when all bets are off and society isn't watching or judging in the same way. Finally, know that living the confidence code can provide the shot of optimism we all need at this time. The stories of the 30 young women in the book are a guarantee of a brighter tomorrow. Tune in Thursday to listen to our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. 
Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day.